0: So we are continuing in our book on Jonah, our sermon series through it, and we, we got past the fish. We are almost done with this book. We're getting there. And today we are actually looking at ourselves in the story. We have finally gotten to the part with Nineveh. And as we've been talking about through this series, uh, Jesus is representative of Jonah, and if we are somewhere in the story, we are the Ninevites. We are the recipients of God's grace. We are the people that the prophet speaks to. Thankfully, we have a better prophet than Jonah. We have the prophet Jesus Christ. We have a gracious prophet, an obedient prophet. We have one who loves grace. And so, we are constantly submitting to and hearing the word of our prophet Jesus Christ. That he comes to us as Ninevites and preaches, preaches grace and he preaches repentance. Now, as we look at this story, we're going to see uh, the Ninevites' call to repentance. And that's what we're going to focus on today, repentance. Repentance. And my hope is that as we look at repentance, we might actually be encouraged. That it can be kind of a bleak topic that we think, oh, this is kind of like weighing ourselves down in the mire of sin. That we have to look at our sin really deliberately. But I think that the book of Jonah doesn't point to repentance as, as that kind of thing. It points to repentance as an opportunity for the grace of God to come into each of our lives. And so today I want to see how we can embrace the call to repent And how we can see it as a call to receive the grace of God. Because I think sometimes we think that the time for repentance is over. That if we've received Christ, then we have repented and and we're good. And that's true. We have done that once and for all repentance. We have turned from our sin and come to Christ. But as a reflection of that once and for all repentance we then continue to repent day in and day out as we continue to hear the words of our, our Lord, our prophet, our Savior. So today we're going to be looking at Jonah 3, and we're going to be learning about repentance from the Ninevites, who are the greatest example of repentance perhaps in the whole Bible. And we're going to see three things. We're going to see the call to repentance, what this call looks like. We're going to see what the nature of true repentance is. And then we're going to see what our hope is in that repentance. All right, so three things we're going to see our call. We're going to see what it actually looks like to repent. And then we're going to see what our hope is in the midst of that repentance. All right, so let's turn to Jonah 3, looking at verses 1 through 10. This is Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Father, I ask that we would see the great grace of your call to repentance. And would you teach us to respond to it as a joy. A joy that you would show us our sin, that you would uh, redeem us out of it. And Father, we thank you that we have a guarantee of, of our repentance being received in Christ. That you are gracious in him. And you're gracious towards us because of the cross. Would you help us to adore Christ more and more today? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so first of all, we're going to start with the gracious call to repentance. Looking at verse 3, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So he went bringing the word of God. All right, so we've finally gotten to the point that we've been waiting for in the story. All of the story is, is reaching this pinnacle, that Jonah was called to preach repentance to the people of Nineveh, to this Assyrian nation, to people in rebellion against God. That behind this whole story of the whale was God's grace for the Ninevites. That he loved these people and he did not want to see them perish. that Jonah was pursued in the midst of the storm, he was saved by the whale, all so that he could come to this moment. Also that he, he could bring the grace of God to Nineveh. And honestly, this isn't the greatest call to repentance in the Bible. First of all, Jonah is not the greatest prophet. He just isn't. He, there's, there's great prophets. We think of Jeremiah. And we think of Jeremiah. He's like weeping over the sins of the people. He loves the people. And he loves seeing God glorified. And so he's just like desperate for them to repent. Or we think of Jonah. Sorry, not, <laughs> not Jonah. Hosea. <laughs> uh, we think of Hosea. And what is Hosea? Hosea makes his whole life like a symbolic sacrifice showing the people that they are adulterous and need to return to God. There are great prophets, and here's Jonah. He is a rebellious prophet. He is a weak prophet who hates God's grace. He does no miracles. He has no signs. He's kind of disappointing, as prophets would go. And then we look at the message itself. Look at verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and called out to them, Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Of all the prophetic callings, this is, this is probably the most lackluster. All right, what is it missing? It doesn't, doesn't have any call to grace. There's, there's no mercy included in it. He doesn't even mention God. That other, other prophecies are, are so powerful. That Ezekiel, he, he actually builds a little model. He like gets a, gets a brick and writes Jerusalem on it. And then he makes siege towers and like has them attack the city. He like makes a little model so that they can see like this is what's going to happen to you if you don't repent. Or Hosea, he, he marries a prostitute. And names his, his children things like wickedness and no grace. And then, like, he, it's a, a very clear picture. We see Isaiah, he's writing poetry and and beautiful, huge discourses on the grace and and the wrath and the call to repentance. And yet, who is the greatest evangelist? Who actually gets the greatest repentance? It's Jonah. 120,000 people repent at, at these simple words of Jonah. These words that that seem like they're just death, they're just judgment, and yet God uses them for grace. I think as we think about this, I think we have to realize that we take a lot of responsibility for, for how we preach the gospel, and we kind of build it up too much, that God will use the the most unlikely of things for salvation. He'll use the most unlikely people. He'll use the most unlikely words. And by all accounts, this should not have been the greatest missionary exploit. But it was. And and what do we learn from that? I think we need to learn a a pretty hard lesson that sometimes gospel presentations are not going to look the way we think they will. And that sometimes the... The words of judgment are actually the words of grace, oddly enough. That sometimes when we are, we are totally honest with people of, about their sin, that their eyes are open to see their sin anew, and they actually come to repentance. Now, as I think about this, I, I didn't used to believe this. Uh, at UCLA, uh, there's a, a big boardwalk of, of tons of people going through, and there's always that guy... I'm like middle-aged guy holding the, the sign that said like, "Every sin deserves hell," and he would like march up and down. And in Casey and I, we were in Campus Crusade and like trying to be Christians to these people. And like we hated that guy, we hated that sign. It was like no, like there's such better messages to put on a sign, and to carry up and down and like, like yay Christianity. And we, we were upset by it. And it wasn't until fourth year. My, my last year, that I heard a story that a girl was walking on that on that path, and she saw that sign, and she was convicted, like convicted to the heart, and recognized, like I'm gonna be judged for my sin, and she came to Christ. <laughs> as unlikely as it would seem. Now, what does that teach us? What does this teach us? More importantly. I think it teaches us that, that God will use the unlikely messages, but also that I think we can be fearful that we're going to say the wrong thing. Just, Jonah, this is, a, this is a terrible message, and God uses it. That when we are, we are honest about what God says about sin and about ourselves and about people, that sometimes that can embody the grace of God in a way that we would never expect or, or ever anticipate. That their eyes are open to to the grace of God through judgment. Now I think that's that's odd culturally. And and that's not I'm like that's not telling you to go do that, like get all get out your signs and go march around. But I think we can be fearful about what God will use. And we can think that we're gonna we're gonna hurt people or break people or when really we, we need to be faithful to the whole word of God. And that Jesus calls people to repentance not because he's being mean, but because he loves them. That that we were all called to repentance. He showed us our sin so that he might show us the cross. So we might have a true solution to sin. That we don't avoid it, but we we rejoice in the fact that we are called to repentance because there is a source of new life and new grace. All right, what about this bit that... uh, that Jonah's not a great prophet and he doesn't, doesn't bring a great word. I think that if a heart is truly tender, God will use it. Now, as I think about this, I think of uh, the excuses that I make and we make for not hearing the call to repentance. Maybe we point at the person and say, well, no, they, they're not qualified to call me out on anything that they're hypocrites, that they're not good enough. How, how could they tell me to repent or to, how could they look at my sin when I can point right back at them? And that's where, if, if our hearts are tender, we will look past the person and see the words themselves, see the word of God, and receive those rebukes as, as the gracious gift of God. Or maybe we, we hear the words of repentance and we don't like how they're said. That we, we get in fights with our spouses and, and we say, well, I, I can't listen to you because of, of how you said it. But maybe they're speaking the truth. And that's where if we, if we are soft-hearted, even those words, we can, we can look past them and see the truth behind them. Now that's, that's how God used Jonah, it seems. seems that, that that's what God... Kind of a heart that God gave to the Ninevites, that they could see past it and rejoice even in the midst of a really difficult calling, a really difficult rebuke. Now, thankfully, we have a much better prophet. Thankfully, our prophet, Jesus Christ, doesn't come with just one blanket message of wrath. And that's why I don't want you guys to go out with a blanket message of wrath, but God uses everything. And when Jesus comes to us with, with a message of salvation and grace and love, we have, we have really no excuse not to listen. That he is pursuing us in grace. And that he does not call us out of our sin to, to hurt us, but to save us from ourselves. So that is the call to repentance. The call to repentance. Repentance we recognize that that we are called to repentance by a much greater Jonah. That Jesus comes and he says, I am the greater one than Jonah. And yet Nineveh repented. And oftentimes we do not. It's convicting. It's it's a difficult message. So let's learn from Nineveh. Jesus tells us, learn from Nineveh. Or else Nineveh is going to come back and rebuke you for it. They're going to say, we, we repented with Jonah. Well, how come you didn't repent with Jesus? And so let's, let's learn from this example of the Ninevites' repentance. All right, where does, where does repentance start? Repentance starts with believing God. With believing God. Look at verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God. Now, what were they believing about God. They're believing that what he was saying about their sin was true. That that sin brings judgment. And he was believing the fact that, or the Ninevites were believing the fact that that with sin comes death and misery and suffering and addiction and pain. That that is the, the foundation of our repentance is that we come to understand our sin as God would understand it. There's an intellectual component to that. Now that's not the only component, but it starts with that. To think God's thoughts after him. To hate what God hates. To hate it because God hates it as well. Now as I think about this, uh, uh, eh, a while back I was struggling with, with seeing God as good. I was seeing God as good, and I had, like, a lot of bitterness. and would, would describe God as, as maybe not as kind or as loving as I, as I know I should have. And so, my counselor, I've been to counseling. Yes, it's good. It's good stuff. Uh, <laughs> I was assigned a book on the blasphemy of God from the 1500s. <laughs> like a Puritan, like, the blasphemy of God. And what did it do? It was just this, this guy outlining over and over and over how evil this sin was. And you could hear God's heart in it. Like, why, why does God hate when we when we say things that aren't true about him? And as I came to read that, you, you could understand God's heart. And as I came to understand what the sin was, I understood why I wanted to be free from it. So that, that's just believing God and what he says about our sins alright so that, that's going to be the, kind of the foundation for repentance but that is not repentance if we stop there then we've just merely intellectualized our sin kind of understood it in our mind but no repentance is about the heart and if we look up what repentance means repentance means a change in how we feel about our sin That it's regret, it's mourning, it's hatred for our sin. It's a change in our affections, in our loves. That that is actually what repentance is. It's the language of of emotion. They would hate our sin with our very hearts. Which then makes sense when we get to verse 5, how the Ninevites react. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So that's, that's how they're embodying this repentance. Right. It's kind of weird. It's weird in our culture to think that as a reaction to sin, they would, they would do this. So let's, let's figure out what this means. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, they seem to understand that there's a connection between the body and the soul. That the body and the heart, the body and the emotions kind of go together. And so when you're putting on sackcloth and you're, you're fasting, you're basically making, making the inside match the outside, the outside match the inside. And so it's a, it's a message to your heart. It's a reminder of, of what you want to feel about your sin and it's actually increasing your misery over your sin. It's increasing your misery over your sin. Now that's really weird. Why would you want to be more miserable about your sin than you need to be? Cuz what do we do when we're upset? We we put on sweatpants and and sit in front of the TV with a blanket and eat ice cream. We make ourselves comfortable. And try to like desperately distract ourselves from the fact that we are miserable or we are upset. (laughs) Some some nodding heads. All right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's what we do. And I think that's that's the difference between an ancient culture and ours is that I think these these people understood that this was good suffering. That this was a good misery. That to be miserable over your sin is, is not going to hurt you, it's going to save you. And that if you can embrace that and really believe it, then you're going to be saved from death itself. That the Ninevites recognized that without this call to repentance, they would have perished. They would have perished with smiles on their faces. And so now they're... they're in a sense, joyfully mourning their sin, that they have a chance to repent. And they want to embrace that. They want to see their sin for what it is so that they can war against it, so they can kill it, so they can hate it. All right, so what does this mean for us? I was trying to think through what, what this would look like to, to embrace our sin in a way that's really productive. Um, first of all, I want to say that that's, it's okay to do that. I think as we represent the gospel of grace, I think we think that to feel bad about our sin is a betrayal of Christ. That it goes against the gospel. And so we, we go really quickly from, from sin to confession and, and kind of forget about the whole thing. And we think that we're doing that because we believe in the grace of God. That no, Jesus wouldn't want me to feel bad. But the thing is that we're missing the fact that to feel bad is grace, in a sense. Because sin is not just a a red mark on our on our test. It actually is destroying us, and it's making us miserable. And God is trying to help us get that sin out of our lives. And he does that by, by teaching us through repentance. So to look deeply at your sin, it's not going to betray the grace of God. It's going to help us understand the, the cross better. That as we see the depth of our sin and, and how we make these fatal choices, we're going to see the grace of God more clearly. That those are the things that Jesus died for. That we'd actually depend upon the grace of God more and more. And we'd be convinced that, no, I'm I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. I'm not a good person. I'm a bad person who loves things that are evil. I need Jesus. That's when repentance actually becomes a joy. Because we get to see the joy of the cross clearer than we ever did. All right, so... That's what repentance should look like. But this can go wrong. This can go wrong pretty easily. And you're probably kind of nervous thinking about this. Like, what, what if I just kind of go off the deep end? What is it supposed to look like? And that's where there's, there's three kind of fruits of true repentance that's depicted in this passage. So let's, let's look at verse uh, verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh. All right, the word reached the king of Nineveh. So essentially the, the people recognize that they hear the message of Jonah and they start to spread it. They're spreading the fact that, hey, hey guys, we all need to repent here. And I think that's a really healthy perspective on repentance. That we don't have to hide our repentance, that we can do it out in the open because we're not scared of it. And that we can call each other to repentance because sin is not going to destroy us. That we recognize that we are all sinful people. That's where true, true repentance should be kind of infectious. And that we're all in this together. And that's where I would, I would want us to be evangelists but not, not feel the weight of being evangelists as Jonah was an evangelist. I want you to to be Ninevites preaching to other Ninevites. Like, hey, I heard this this prophet preaching, and he called us all to repentance. I think it's a pretty good idea. I'm going to repent. Like, you should come repent with me. That's, That's what we are called to as the people of God, that we have been Ninevites. We've heard this message, and come follow it with me. Come repent with me. Let's be good repenters, not not good holy people coming to proclaim the word of the Lord. I think that's when we know we have a healthy amount of repentance and a healthy perspective on it when we can actually share it with other people. All right. But then we have the king himself. The king himself embodies an aspect of repentance that is truly important. When it comes to the king, it says, he rose from his throne removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. There's a humility that comes with true repentance. That we recognize we, we don't get to be on the throne anymore. That we, we come at the feet of Jesus, at the feet of the cross, and, and recognize that we can't pretend to be kings and queens anymore. That we bow down to the, the true king, and are humbled by our sin. And then finally, this king, he comes and he, he leads the people to the final aspect of repentance. Verse 7, he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor, eat, nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way from the violence that is in his hands. That's where the the final aspect of true repentance is not just feeling bad, it's actually changing what you did. It's living differently. Which makes sense, because if we really hate our sin, and we recognize that it's killing us, we aren't going to turn around and keep pursuing it over and over and over. We're actually going to change. And so... There's those three aspects that are going to test if this is true repentance that is going to be healthy or a false repentance that is actually going to hurt us in the long run. So is it something that you, you can share without humiliation and, and shame? Is it something that, that humbles you? And finally, is it something that actually produces change? Because if it doesn't have those three aspects, uh, we get into trouble. So what if you just have all the emotional upheaval, but no life change? It's just kind of just mustering emotions, and and it's not truly sincere. And maybe we're repenting not because we've forsaken God, but because we feel bad that we're bad people. And that we can't handle that, but, but we still feel like Worthless sinners, and so we, we keep sinning. There's no heart change. It's, it doesn't reach uh, any deeper level than emotions. Or what if our lives change, but we're not humbled? Then we've just become Pharisees. And we're doing self-improvement projects. They're like, oh yeah, no, I... I don't like that I'm a sinner because I want to be a good person, so I can probably muster up some obedience and and do better next time. That's not true repentance. And then finally, what if you you feel like you can't share your struggles? I think that that points us to the fact that we're pleasing people, not God. That we're repenting to to kind of perpetuate an image, not because we're truly mourning about our sins. So I'd ask you, what, what are these patterns do you think you fall into? What is missing in your repentance? How can you repent in a way that, that embraces these things, that you would be humbled, that you would be motivated to, to go and share your repentance, that you would truly change? That brings us to our final point. This is really hard. This is really hard. To look at our sins kind of unwaveringly and, and feel the weight of them is potentially devastating. And so we have to ask ourselves what is our hope in the midst of repentance? What is our hope in the midst of repentance? And what is it for the Ninevites? Verse, ten, uh, verse 9. So they say that they'll stop doing this because, verse 9, who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Now, what do we see there? There's an odd amount of uncertainty there. That they, They've repented, but they're still not sure if God is going to save them. I think that points us to, to probably the most important part of repentance. If, you, if you're going to get one part, make it this. That repentance doesn't guarantee that you're going to be, to be forgiven. You're not earning your forgiveness by repenting. That's not the basis by which you are saved, by which you are forgiven. And so the Ninevites, they, they repent, but ultimately they throw themselves upon the mercy and grace of God. That that's the only way that they're going to be saved. It's not because of their great repentance. They don't look to their repentance, they look to the grace of God to save them. And that's where we, we never repent as as a way of paying for sin. We're not we're not trying to to earn anything before God. We repent because there is no life in sin. But ultimately, we, we trust ourselves to the grace of God. And thankfully, God is gracious with the Ninevites. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, our only hope in the midst of all of our sin is not our repentance, it's the grace of God. It is the grace of God found in Jesus Christ and we can only repent because we get to repent at the foot of the cross that otherwise we would be devastated and we can't bear to look at our sin because it just means death for us but if we if we're looking at the cross we can bear our sins we can feel the weight of it and we know we're not going to be crushed we're not going to be destroyed in fact as we repent before the cross our joy actually grows That God is taking these these sins away from us. And they're not trivial sins. No, they're deep sins. That Christ has died for for true evil, for for terrible things. But that we are forgiven. And so there's one aspect of this that that doesn't apply anymore. We don't need to wonder. We don't need to wonder anymore and say, well, maybe God is going to forgive me. Maybe if I repent, he's going to be gracious. No, in Jesus, God is gracious. He is faithful to forgive us our sins. And that is why we can repent. Because we know who Jesus is, that Jesus came to bear all of that judgment, to take it from us. And the more we see our sin, the more we see the grace of Jesus Christ, that we're okay to see it and to throw it at the cross. So what would I, I leave you with? Let's not rush through repentance. Let's not just gloss over it and say, oh no, grace, grace. No, let's stop and think, what is God really forgiving us for? And why does he want us to be cleansed from sin? That repentance is a gift from God. It is part of the grace of the cross that he would show us our sin so we might be free from it. So go and and repent with joy because we repent in the name of Jesus Christ.